Welcome to Electronically Yours with Martin Ware. Hi, it's Martin here again. Electronically Yours with Martin Ware. Today's episode features quite an extraordinary sound artist, uh, Hannah Peel, who um, has done some extraordinary work with loads of people. She's had an incredible life. Um, born in Northern Ireland. Um, moved to Barnsley. Good lass, she's still got a bit of a Barnsley accent. And um, now living again in Ireland. And uh, she's worked with loads and loads of people. She's such a positive force. I'm on the Ivers Academy board with her. Um, but she's worked with people like Paul Weller. Um, she's done loads of TV work. She she does a, a nighttime programme called Night Tracks on BBC Radio 3. She works on Radio Ulster as well. She did the soundtrack for the really famous documentary about Game of Thrones, which, of course, was filmed in Northern Ireland. Um, she's done choral work. She does. She's an orchestrator. She does a lot of electronic music. She's got a new album out, um, which is absolutely worth listening to. It's beautiful. She's done a lot of work with John Fox and the Maths. Um, and she's a... An activist, you know, she wants to make a difference to people's lives, particularly women in the music industry. <clears throat> and, she, and her latest album is all about uh, the environment, I suppose you could say, and the most pressing issue of our time, climate change. Um, like me, she's been inspired by people like Delia Derbyshire in the past... And she has a bravery about her work, which we discuss, which I really admire. She's done stuff um, for, uh, about Alzheimer's. And she's just a great creator. I love her to death. Here she is, Hannah Peel. I wanted to triple check. This is just going through my monitor. Do you want me to do it through my speakers? Um, with the mic, I mean. Nah, it's all right. I don't uh, care. Let me just close the door then. Yeah. Well, I'll leave my dog. He might come back in. <coughs> don't, it all adds colour. Don't worry. <laughs> No, I just I wanted to say that I really love your podcasts. I think they're brilliant. Have you heard the um, the Richard Hawley one? Yeah. That was that was the very first one I did, and it's so funny because his dog keeps coming in and out, and he keeps wandering off because somebody's coming into the room, and it's like, you know, you really got a sense of the personality, and you know, some podcasts can be a bit dry. I think. Yeah. And I'm I'm all for anything that adds to the. Adds to the thing. I'm all for adding sound effects, in fact. <laughs> That's good. Well, um, yeah, no, because on the podcast thing, it's uh, it only goes down to um, episode seven. It doesn't go... So the first one that comes up is animatronic. Oh. And then I can't... So I couldn't see the other ones, the first one. I think it depends which platform you're on. Yeah. Um, 
I don't understand why that would be. Which which one do you use? Which app do you use? It's the Apple Podcast. I don't know why that would be. I'll have to look into that. Thank you for tipping me off anyway. Um, but you should be able to hear all of them. It's all free anyway. Who cares? How many? I know. Then it's come up. Oh, it's here. That's, that's so weird because I spent like two or three days going, oh, I can't listen to the other ones. So That's weird. Oh, <coughs> Ignore me. Ignore everything I just said. It's all right. <laughs> um, we're both um, South Yorkshire people. Yeah. I mean, I know you didn't live there all your life, but... Uh, it's just nice to hear a familiar voice. I know it is. It's so uh, funny because um, I was listening to the Roisin Murphy one. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I didn't know that she'd gone to Sheffield. And I'd kind of thought Manchester and then I thought, and obviously she's near Dublin. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's really interesting. And then when she said the Sheffield connection, I was like, oh, my God, that's <laughs> a strange loop as well because I've done that loop. So. It kind of makes sense, really. Yeah, and well, of course you have, because... And I was talking to her about growing up in Ireland and uh, um, and then moving to the north of England, and she ended up in Sheffield. You ended up in Barnsley, obviously. She ended up in Sheffield, ultimately. But when you moved to uh, Barnsley, how old were you then? Eight. Eight. Yeah. And so, how long did you stay there for? Um, till I was 18. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's your formative years right there, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, Barnsley, it's a great avant-garde compositional wonderland. No, it's not really. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> when I look back now, I go, oh, my God, I had a real experience of everything from, like, you know, like, my, sadly, my piano teacher passed away, like, a couple of weeks ago. He was in his 80s, but he was the most amazing... <laughs> He was working from like the age of 14 in the clubs and the dance halls, you know, doing doing the organ and all the foot yeah. pedals and the drums all at the same time. And, you know, I, I, I grew up in, 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 in the working men's clubs as well when my parents used to take me down there. And it was that was an education, really. And going to those places from age seven or eight and, you know, Frank and Ernest on the drums and organ, you know. Yeah. It was amazing. I mean, it was really flavoursome looking back on it. Of course, when you're young, you just think everybody has the same experiences, don't you? But Sheffield's a great place. And yeah. Barnsley's a great place. I've got a lot of good, lot of good friends from Barnsley as well. Um, <clears throat> but it, like, yes, I was thinking about this and I was like, oh, you know, my piano teacher had that world. I lived in a, a little village called Birdwell, which is on the edge of kind of Sheffield. Birdwell, yeah. yeah. And, um, and there was like a Northern Soul Club that I never even knew was there as I was growing up. And it's this, like, hot, hot, hot spot for a northern soul. So, um, and then obviously the brass bands. Yes. Love all that shit. Um, and, then, and then all the folk music. <laughs> it's like... Um, all the finger in the ear stuff, right? All... <laughs> yeah. And I was going down the miners' welfare. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, my dad wasn't really into all that stuff, but he used to spend a lot of his spare time in the working men's club. So I uh, I enjoyed him coming back from the working men's club on a Friday night with a bag of mussels for me because I love mussels. You know, they used to have pe they used to have fishermen in Sheffield coming from Whitby with fresh, oh, no. yeah, <laughs> to sell Friday and Saturday nights in the working men's clubs in Sheffield. <clears throat> I'm sure they did the same in in uh, Barnsley. 
actually. Oh, they probably did. I used to work in a pub that um, was in a housing estate, which I think has been knocked down, somebody was saying, but the pub was called The White Bear and it was amazing. It was run by this amazing landlady and, you know, it looked like a house in the middle of a, a quite a rough housing estate. And at five o'clock every day for all the workmen and the guys coming in, she used to do triangles of white bread spread with dripping. Oh, bring it on. <laughs> and then they would come the, in for the pints and then have the dripping on bread. It's about the antithesis of the kind of molecular gastronomy bollocks that we have to tolerate. Um, I, It's funny, though, it is coming back to this... Uh, nose to tail eating thing now isn't it you know people are getting into offal and stuff like that anyway <laughs> why are we talking about offal um so <laughs> let's, let's start with and what do you do you remember what do you remember about growing up in craig avon was it yeah tell me about um, your your memories of that yeah i guess we i mean early 80s <clears throat> mid, mid 80s to late 80s Barnsley, uh, sorry, Craig Avon and then to Barnsley. And, you know, I would say both of them were pretty of their own essence in a way. You know, Craig mm. Avon was a kind of new town, a bit like kind of Skelmsdale between Liverpool and Manchester or Milton Keynes. It was a new town, lots of roundabouts. But then obviously mix, mixing that with the Troubles was a disaster in some senses um, because yeah. you really had the kind of different housing estates and things going on but um you know I remember going to school and loving it and having a great time but I also remember every single army checkpoint along the roads you know I remember on my sixth birthday going into Belfast and was running away from a bomb that went off and you know I remember like very one of my first memories is um the bombings that were in Enniskillen because I remember seeing was all kind of looking at the TV and, and a family member pointing out our car on the TV that had gone round the roundabout. Um, so I guess when you're that 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 young, you don't really realise what's going on. You just kind of think, oh, this is kind of normal or this is exciting or oh, look at that. You, you kind of feel untouchable in some senses as well. And yes, you're shielded by your parents for from everything in terms of stories and who's been affected and and what family members may be. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, I kind of, that's all I really, all I really remember. <laughs> it's a lot to remember, but I guess we used to go back every single holiday. So I never had a holiday in Yorkshire. It was always back to Northern Ireland or to Donegal for every single trip. So, you know, it was, my whole childhood was spent either on a plane or a ferry going back and forth. Really? My, I'm married to a, <clears throat> a Northern Irish woman, so um, I know all about the troubles. I mean, where she had a farm uh, near Market Hill. Oh yeah, I know Market Hill. <laughs> yeah, I bet you do. It's not far, is it? <laughs> so, um, and the people were lovely, and I always had such a great time over there. But then you got all the checkpoint thing, which really ruined everything. And in fact. Before I met my wife, she said, oh, you see this building over here in, in Market Hill? It's been, been blown up twice by car bombs. Oh, oh you're exaggerating. No, no, it's literally dozens of people dead. <coughs> and then um, one day when I was there, 
bit later on with the my young kids. A Chinook heli- helicopter lands in their backfield, you know, chasing UVF uh, guys in a in a disused railway tunnel. I'm going. This is a bit too real for me. And of course, the kids are just going. Oh, that's exciting! You know, I'm going. <laughs> and they found like caches of uh, weapons and armaments. And, oh God. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many stories. I mean, we as kids, we used to, when we came back, we would go to visit like grandparents and things. We had a little kind of terraced house, but it backed on to a police station. And, you know, like police stations in Northern Ireland are very different from how you imagine oh, it yeah. in England. So um, you have got the high walls and the barbed wire and, and there was a helicopter pad that used to come in and land and the army guys would get out and go again. And there was a shooting there one day. <laughs> it's yeah it was just always there was always something <laughs> so I'm glad like I'm back here now and I'm glad that it's um you know it's just it feels like it's more progressive it feels like people are trying to put a lot behind them and get on even even if there is the things happening in the press and uh, are you in Bangor did yeah. I read yeah 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 it's nice lovely yeah um so do you enjoy living there now? Do you find it? A, a, I mean, you can write anywhere, can't you? And transfer yeah. files, and you can live where you want nowadays, more or less. And um, so, uh, just before we leave the childhood thing, I just wanted—I often get asked, you know, growing up in Sheffield, how that affected my perception of sound, because we're both sound artists. Do you think your what you experienced in Northern Ireland, in particular, uh, had an impact on the kind of on the way that you address the sound world later? Yeah, for sure. I guess, yeah, I mean, and without a doubt, I'm very much interested in in the combination of the industrial and the organic, I guess. And I, I think that has come from, you know, being aware of sound, even to, down to the kind of the, the sound of a ferry every time we went back and back and forth and then yeah and then moving to Barnsley where it you know you and near Sheffield and going to Sheffield and and feeling that industrial kind of sound of things it was always a metallic feel to everything um so I guess it's definitely played a part and and one of the things I think more kind of thematically maybe the kind of combinations of my composition work is is about bringing a lot of different worlds together and a lot of kind of textures so you never are just like sat within a, a context of it's never just electronic music that I'm producing it's always got an element of other things and that mm-hmm. must come from traveling and and these two completely opposite worlds at times even going to Donegal as a child was like you know heaven it was like there was nobody around it was sand dunes big beaches total escapism as kids you know like we named all the sand dunes we had stories for everything we camped out in caves and then like you're kind of going back to Barnsley and 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 <laughs> and that's your kind of summer holiday so um I guess yeah I guess that has had an effect on my music maybe not as as much as I think is in like sound as in you hear the sound palette but definitely within the genre and the influences of melody and storytelling now storytelling i was just about to bring that up so <clears throat> my wife take my <laughs> wife she loves a good story you know um she was born and bred 
uh, in Market Hill um, and went to the University of Belfast. So, I mean, she'd spent until she was like 20 um, there. And, you know, she grew up with a bunch of fanciful people who would embellish their lives you know i mean I, I, and i know it's like it's a bit like the hollywood cliche going oh you know it's not that it's more a, a kind of creative attitude towards reality is i how i categorize <laughs> well you know but it's like think about it we are when i was brought up in sheffield i was brought up to think that um Reality is fixed, you know, or history is fixed. And you just give them facts, and these are the facts, and they'll always be the facts, and they always were the facts. And I just don't believe that's the way things work in Ireland, mm -hmm. uh, for Irish people. It's like a, it's a shifting, shifting sands of reality, and I love it. And you, only, you, can, you, can, you can read all that stuff in... Um, in Irish literature, you know, it's just a different world entirely. And I noticed it particularly when I, 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 we did a tour of the west coast of Ireland and we went to, around the Ring of Kerry and, you know, up the up towards Galway and, oh, my God. Those people are amongst the most interesting people I've ever met on Earth. They are fanciful... I won't say fantasists, that's, that's kind of pejorative, but, you know... Full of full of uh, joie de vivre, and but but like they can mould reality to fit what they. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think the shifting sands of reality is like a great album title. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. I'd be honest if you used it. No, I think it's you've totally nailed it. It's like there's always a story, or there's always a kind of like anecdote about something or a tale or, you know, when I was younger, I used to get so annoyed at my mum because she used to tell stories and, and exaggerate every story. Everything. And like, and then when you met with that and then the Barnsley kind of side of like fact, reality, very few words. And then you met with <laughs> these exaggerated tales that were like made for drama. I was always like, stop doing that. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's completely true. You know, like the people that on that West Coast, especially in Donegal, that you meet, that they're characters out of every kind of TV show you could imagine or paint or, you know, the, the, their stories, their lives and their faces are weathered. And yet they are the most amazing, welcoming, gorgeous people you'll ever beautiful, meet. Beautiful, beautiful. Changed my life, actually, going down, doing that trip. Um, okay, let's move on to a different thing. Um, you know Tal Rosner, don't you? I do. How do you know Tal Rosner? I know Tal Rosner. <laughs> I worked with him. I, I did a, a touring show called Future of Sound where I was showing off my 3D sound system in different theatres around the country, supported by the Arts Council. And Tal came and did some... The, the, the idea was it was a bit like a kind of gong show thing where everybody got like, 15, 20 minutes to show how they might use sound in the future with their practice. And of course, he's a filmmaker. And um, we got on really well. I really liked Tal. He's an incredibly talented guy. Yeah. And um, yeah, so he took one of those slots and we did some stuff together in 3D sound and stuff. That was about 2004, five, six. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for anyone that kind of doesn't know him, he's like, 
visuals and film and graphic designs, but like, yeah. and very much into kind of, I met him when he was doing a lot with orchestras. So he's like doing, he's kind of he like, not animating, he's kind of taking the, the essence of the orchestral, orchestral pieces and then like transforming them into a visual spectacular shape-shifting magical world um and we worked together at Sadler's Wells uh so this is maybe like around 2011 2012 and we've been friends ever since then so he's amazing so he's got into like stage design and stuff now right yeah oh my god I must reconnect with him actually after this if you could send me his um his um uh, uh email address i'd like to talk to <clears throat> he's got he's he's amazing right so one of the things about tal is he's got really kind of like wonderful kind of characteristics about the way he says things and the way he acts or the way he sits even and then when i went to la he's got a brother called leo that does a lot of film composition and classical pieces and lives in the hollywood hills and the first time I went to LA, Leo took me out and round the hills, and all I could oh. do was just keep kind of laughing at him because he had the same mannerisms, <laughs> and they're both so dry humor and don't say very much. <laughs> so, yeah, there was, um, but yeah. So every time I go back to LA now, I've always got Leo to kind of go and say hello. Oh, to that's him. nice. So tell me. How was Lipper for you? It obviously, changed your life to a certain extent, didn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I went, um, gosh, yeah, a long time ago now. It feels like, <laughs> um, yeah. I actually, I, I did, I did apply to go there, and then I ended up going to study acting for six months in London. And I kind of realised that I didn't want to do acting anymore and I really missed my music. And I wrote back to Lifper and said, please, can I come? And they said, yes. So I ended up starting the next year with them, which is amazing because I didn't have to kind of re-audition or anything. Um, but I guess my whole time there was like, I mean, it, Liverpool is just such, it's like a second home. It still is. Like before I moved back Incredible. to Northern Ireland, it was like I wanted to be back in Liverpool and it was a hard kind of choice but you know I just think the 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 air there is very similar to actually Belfast in some sense you're by the sea docks you get that kind of energy that's restless and positive and then also wild and not so positive and and I love that kind of you know I loved my time there I thought it was just brilliant everybody's brilliant that's there so yeah Lippa was kind of like you were in a bubble but it, I guess for me it wasn't until I left that I really loved Liverpool like I think oh. when you're in Lippa you're in that world and you're you're working with like actors and dancers and and sound designers and management course and it's all kind of like the music industry or the arts industry in one little bubble and then as soon as you leave it's kind of like oh where's it gone so um I guess a lot of my time was spent playing in different bands, like Liverpool bands, when I'd left, like playing the violin and trombone and singing. And I kind of earned my spurs by, and learned a lot by playing with different bands and then touring. So, Yeah. And which to... bands did you tour with? Um, gosh. So I used to play with a band called The Aeroplanes, and we did oh, some great... Yeah. This is going back, like, 2007 there was another band called Peter and the Wolf that were 
brilliant. Um, a guy called Howie Payne, which he's, uh, I think his brother is in the related to the Zootons. There's, um, uh, gosh, I don't know, like so. Many. Did a lot of stuff then, basically. Yeah, I basically were, like. Were you one of the, were you, were, you were one of these. I can tell. I bet you were one of these go-to people, who, yeah, they'll probably go. Oh yeah. That Hannah, she's good. She's got a good energy. We'll have her on tour because you need people with good energy on tour, don't you? You can't be having moaning minis on tour. No, so, and yeah, yeah and sessions. Not about how talented you are, it's about. <laughs> I just think I was. I just loved it there. And, you know, I met Bill Ryder Jones. I did a session for him when he was just leaving the Coral, and right. Yeah, no, it was. The Coral were good. I like the Coral. Yeah. Um, and you met Paul McCartney, right? I did. And yeah. he liked you, didn't he? He did. He was lovely. Hang on, the dog's deciding to rip up a cardboard box back here. He's only a puppy. He's like nine months old. So. Oh, bless. <laughs> um, yeah, so Paul McCartney, and uh, he was complimentary to you. and. Uh, yeah, he was, he was lovely. He was really nice. I don't suppose you've kept in touch by any chance. Gosh, I wish I would. That would be nice. It'd be nice to go. He probably doesn't have a clue who I am. <laughs> he meets that many well, students. I think that's the good thing about there is he still comes back and shakes the hand of every single student that goes through the doors. And and I think it was a really lovely thing. So one of the things that I did was like have this kind of you, when you're in your final year, if you're doing songwriting or composition, the tutors will pick you to say, "Oh, do you want to have a fifth? minute lesson with Cartney and and so I was lucky enough to to be able to do that um Great. and but you know the reality was is that he his guitar and I played him this like completely minimalist type music that you can't really play guitar along to <laughs> so he ended up just watching the films that I'd made the music for and 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 having a laugh about it and share and talking about that, which was, you know, like the people that were in and out before me were like able to play with him and like go, here's my song. And he would play along with it and sing. Wow. And, um, yeah. It was cool. he's, done, he's done like orchestral stuff. I mean, you never know. He might need a, an arranger or a, somebody to do something, yeah. you know, a big thing. Um, so, Right, so um, when did right? So at this point, you must have been thinking you have a strong idea of what you want to direction you want to go in, even if you didn't know what the end goal was. You obviously felt, um, according to what I've read, anyway, that you um, started becoming interested in the, in the more avant-garde stuff, but also like working. Were you working at all to picture then? Did you have any of that experience or did that come later? Yeah. Um, yeah, so part of my final degree piece I wanted to do was for um, three kind of went down to look the BFI and chose kind of three Dada films, um, you know, like 1930s experimental films that, that needed music and um, or didn't need music, obviously, but I wanted to do the soundtrack live. And that kind of triggered off quite a lot of the energy that I loved that you got from seeing live music and visuals working yeah. together. 
uh, especially when they're kind of in partnership, not just kind of like colours everywhere. And, and uh, you know, that was the first time I really experienced that kind of spine tingling feeling that I'd not had from music before I mean I'd had it in a way like sometimes when everyone's singing in a pub or like doing kind of Irish folk sessions and you kind of get that feeling of where you just like want to cry for no reason Mm. but but I'd never had it in my own music or in terms of like the music I was interested in so um I went to see a man with a movie camera with cinematic orchestra in Manchester like and it was the first time I'd ever experienced like watching something and then getting that spine chilling feeling. And I was like, I want to make music for movement, basically. Yeah. And, um, you know, like I suppose with my degree, I was doing a lot of uh, MD work. So I was like doing a lot with the actors and the dancers. And when I graduated, that continued for like a good kind of five or six years just with the amateur dramatics and then a couple of shows that went on to the kind of the Lowry in Manchester and and short films that people were making in Liverpool and like little um, theatre shows that were on it, like The Everyman and The Playhouse. And so there was always an element of drama somewhere that I wanted to touch into and I applied to do a master's in kind of film composition and didn't get in because they said my classical kind of side wasn't up to scratch. Oh, that's just bollocks. I'm and, sorry. I, I know it. it is. It is bollocks. But then you, you, when you're that young, you kind of think, oh, oh, this is crap. <laughs> so, but um, what somebody was really nice on one of the panels that I did, or the audition panel things, and rang me up afterwards and said, you know, look, just find your own sound, keep going. You've got a great sense of melody and and timing and you'll get there in the end with your own voice. And that was the best advice anybody ever really gave me until that point. So, and then I just happened to stumble upon the music box yeah. um, and and started making just for a joke, like Tainted Love on the music box. And oh, It's a work of genius. Come on, <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> But, it, you know, at the time it was like, ah, oh, just I'm so fed up of everything. I'm just going to make punch holes in this piece of paper and, and make this. And, Brilliant. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but you make it sound like, oh, that's what anybody would do, but it's not. <laughs> but <laughs> but it, what happened was because it was so, like, unique in its sound, it um, I recorded it in my bedroom and I sent it off to someone, like, to – see if they'd be interested in like maybe putting it out as an EP. It was like a little four track. And he ended up sending it to Static Caravan, who's uh, Jeff, who runs that, is in Birmingham. And he puts out kind of seven-inch singles and and small EPs, small runs of things. And he's a scientist full-time. But he started off bands like Tongue and and myself and and, uh, Beth Jeans Houghton, who's now the blonde um, and so there's a whole, a whole like legacy of people through like the last 20 years that have come through Static Caravan. Anyway, long story short, as a sync agency picked it up and Tainted Love then went on to be on a lot of adverts and in a couple of films and trailers and TV shows. In Who'd, America. Have Who'd have thunk it? Who'd have thought? And it was like my dream had come true. Like everything that I wanted to do in film and TV was just there. So... Right. Opened a door, and, and that's where I've been heading ever since. So. 
I just have to interject in terms of the timeline at this point and say that your new album is just fantastic. Oh. I've been listening to it all day while I've been doing other things. I'm going, this is just, you know, I mean, it's very similar in a lot of ways to the sort of stuff I create nowadays. Um, and it's actually addressed a lot of the same concerns, funnily enough. I'm going to introduce you to someone called Dan Morell. Who's, who contacted me? He's the guy who invented the idea, the concept of carbon neutral, mm. uh, the idea of planting trees around the world and all that wow. stuff. He started that. He invented the term and he started a company to do that. And of course, the usual thing, uh, he ended up having to take some venture capital and he got he got chucked out of his own company. And now he's starting another one. Yeah. And um, he's an amazing kind of uh, eco warrior. But he's also an entrepreneur, and uh, I think you know, based on the themes of what of what the album's about, I think uh, there's definitely some synergy there. And it's his next thing is is um, it's called Balance, and it's going to be concerned with music as well. Yeah. So uh, so um, they're creating a special app where people can contribute their voices. To existing backing tracks and it, it kind of <laughs> tunes them and everything and and then it proliferates and then you can buy it and like two pound from that goes to plant a tree and all this stuff anyway oh, you're me he's a nice guy I'll introduce you to him thank you um and then um John Fox he's a lovely lad isn't he yeah yeah he's great I and I, I liked your podcast really much because I I really John's one of those people that you learn something about every single time you talk to him. There's always another layer to kind of peel back or, or some kind of other experience. Like I didn't know about his parents. I've known him for years. I didn't know his dad was a boxer and didn't come up on the internet, all that stuff. So yeah. saved it for me. I'm very happy that, that he, t he told me, but you know, we go back a long way anyway to like before you were born, literally. Before your bum was as big as a shirt button as my mum would <laughs> And, um, God, I'm turning into an old bloke. Oh, no. <laughs> I didn't want to say. <laughs> I, I love all my old Sheffield sayings, though. Yeah. I remember you when you were tiny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but um, the stuff you've done with John, John and the maths... Um, it's great, and um, you know what I like about I, I've looked through all your work now, and I've listened to a lot of it, and in detail, and it's just the level of bravery is <clears throat> is quite impressive. And um, I often say to my students who are teaching MA course in songwriting and production, I often say to them, the ones who are a little bit shy, perhaps not shy. Lacking in confidence, I say to them, <coughs> "You need you need more fuck you in you." And I think I think there's an element of that in the northern attitude. Yeah. It's a bit like, well, I'm going to do it anyway. Particularly in Sheffield, actually, it's a maker community. You know, they're very proud about the crafts and skills, and it's in the DNA. And 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 they just, you know, it's the same Sheffield bands. They just do stuff. I mean, Arctic Monkeys is the is the epic fuck you band, isn't it? It's like I'm going to do something that's totally different. It's going to sound like nobody else, 
And if, if you like it, that's great. And if you don't, I don't mind particularly because I really like it. And I think there's some of that in you. I'm not trying to be rude or anything, but <laughs> uh, but you do it. You do it in a much more kind of elegant and beautiful and incredibly musical way, which impresses me greatly. I have to say. Wow. Um, Thanks, Martin. But um, uh, yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to make that point for the podcast listeners because I want to encourage them to go and listen to your back catalogue, you know, which is all online pretty much. Um, <laughs> so I want to discuss. Um, entering the world of kind of soundscapes and immersion and installation work because it to me when I was doing the touring show the future of sound thing what I realized was everything was converging on one point so everything so it's not uh, many and, uh, and the, that point that vanishing point is uh, storytelling yeah so everything's in the surf in the service of that. So it can start with music or traditional songs or whatever, folk songs even, and then it turns into like really what you're trying to do is create significance for people, and then uh, try to manipulate manipulate's the wrong word, but try to influence their emotions. And I think a lot of what you do is very emotional music despite the fact it's using a lot of technology. Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. Without doubt. I, I, you know, I think even, I think that it kind of traces back to what you were saying. And, and thank you for saying all that, because I think it's, I think it's really important because I, I think there's a definitely an element of maybe because I always felt I was like an outsider, but you always are still influenced by the people that you're with and the attitudes of people so there's always been I probably wouldn't stand up to somebody and say fuck you in person but in music and the way I kind of express things through emotion and trying kind of a fearless kind of trying out of things of like I want to create this how do you do it I want to make that then that attitude has kind of come into play um so it's definitely there's definitely an element of of everything you're saying in a way that, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you're so softly spoken and you're so nice or whatever. And then, and then, you know, I'm a redhead. I'm a raging redhead at times. <laughs> it's just nobody would see that. But it does, I do try to tell that story and, and tell the emotion through the music because sometimes I can't express it in words and I can't say to someone, you know, I do feel like a lot of the work that I've done is, is through, is kind of, is through suppression, op- oppression in various guises, whether that be a musician and a female musician in the industry or whether that be just through the the lives that I've gone through in terms of, you know, the political stances, the the, the Northern Irish, the, the Barnsley, the outsider feelings. They, they do tell a story and, and music is my only kind of outlet for that emotion because I feel like, anything I say can sometimes be bitten back at you. Like even social media, it, if I get one kind of trolling comment, fucking hell, it, distra- it destroys yeah. me. So I try and do everything that isn't like, you know, at least with music, you can suggest something and you can put something out there and, and then it's easier for people to go, well, 
I don't like that, but I do appreciate that, or I don't like that, or I or I associate with that story of dementia, or and I can feel where you've come from. So, um, I by the way, you're talking about titles for uh, albums or whatever. Outsider emotions is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's good. I like this one. We'll yeah. see how many we come up with by the end. <laughs> it's like it's like playing tennis. Idea <laughs> tennis. Um, I just want to touch on. Um, Right, I'm a, I'm a passionate advocate for increasing the role of of women in the music industry. Yeah. It really matters to me that and youth. You know, I, I think I mean I fought long and hard as the Ivers Academy to take get them to take um, uh, the youth council as a serious thing. Yeah, you know because they were going. They literally turn around to me and say, oh, yeah, good idea. They can have our reserver status. Oh, um, no. Where is yeah. there, like, a meeting? I tell you what, you do that and you won't even have me as observer status. I'm out because yeah. we worked on it for quite a while. And it's only because I put my foot down that they said, all right, they got full rights in the board, voting rights. I'm going to observer status. You can pick a greater metaphor for for the lack of rights for young people than that, could you? Anyway, so um, there's that. But female creators need support to um, to get to uh, to increase the power. And I know it's something you're passionate about. Tell us about your role in that then, or your advocacy for that. Yeah, well, I mean, firstly, the with joining the Ivers this year, and then and seeing the Youth Council and how utterly brilliant and amazing and passionate and how gorgeous their ideas are, are just like, I'm just like, you all, everyone just needs to listen every time they speak because it's just, you know, they're learning. And and, I, and I'm like, even like, what, 10 years older than them. And I'm like, God, this is so complicated sometimes. And they just get it. And they've done it. Yeah. I think it's brilliant. So I'm really really glad you put your foot down for that um I guess you know in terms of my role I I had very little role models that were female growing up like I never really had anyone that I looked to in terms of uh in person as a female artist or as a, a musician I didn't know anybody personally and you know, so I guess my peers were all, you know, always have been men and always have, and I've always felt that I was, I was never sidelined, or not that I was aware of at the time. I never thought I would have been sidelined. And, you know, I ended up working with the most extraordinary people, like John Fox, for example, is just amazing to work with and is a complete mentor in terms of his attitude and his story and the way he kind of presents himself even now. Like, I just, you know, I feel very lucky that I've had that experience. I haven't had the experiences that a lot of others have had. I've been kind of of taken under the wing by a lot of people and said, look, you're really good. You can do this. You can do that. From John to kind of Andy McCluskey and OMD and, and and, you know, now kind of Paul Weller as well. And, it's very, very kind of brilliant mutual music understanding. And, and I think that is, I feel very lucky and grateful to have had those experiences up to now. So 
I guess going back to having a role model and 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 seeing different kind of people come through the ranks, what I guess what I'm trying to do is always make sure that if anybody contacts me for advice or or anything, I'm very, very quick to go, yep, yeah, you can have my time. I will help you. If you want to release a record, here's where to do it. You can do it and more encouragement and positivity. And, you know, with um, because I do the broadcasting for Radio 3, I would very much always look for the female artists, the independent ones mostly because they're the ones that were, are like me in terms of like yeah. self-releasing, putting your music out, being brave about things and always look to kind of support that and, and um, you know, give them a voice and airtime and airplay and put them on the playlists. And, right. and it's created a whole talking point that I never had when I was starting out. Yeah. It, like groups of, you know, I've got so many female friends now that actually support each other and are, are very much open arms. Whereas before it was, you were always put in competition with the other female yeah. musician or there was always some kind of like jealousy or it was horrid. Like, you know, that I can't count the number of times that I felt animosity through even really? different artists. And, you know, even like when I did the Alison Moyer tour, it was, it was brilliant, but I still felt like, I was kind of like getting in the way, like I was the young. Really? Yeah, I did. I didn't feel fully embraced. I was kind of told not to do certain things by the management and stuff like that. And you just kind of go, is this because I'm a female artist and I'm a threat? Or is this because I am just the supporting artist and you don't want me to have I don't think kind it's very of, nice. Like, I mean, I, I know Alison and um, she can be a bit spiky at times. So I don't... You know, I don't think it was. Um, I, I don't. It, it didn't come from her. She was when I saw her and everything. She was brilliant, but it it didn't. I don't know if it had been me. I would have like really embraced the younger support artist on her own, on a tour. Always, always. Like, gone. Come, come on here. I'm going to help you every day. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to. Yeah. <laughs> so, always, but, always got to. We we um we supported Iggy Pop on um, on a tour in 1979 around Europe and uh, amazing when Matlock from the Sex Pistols was the bass player and he was so lovely I mean he's on the podcast as well but and I, well, I've worked with him with my BF projects as well he's just a, one of the nice guys you know right so anyway but even when he was young he was only like 23 then or something he w he felt like a mentor, you know, and and some people just have that in in their soul. You're one of them. I'm one of them. And I think there's it's people like us that want to get involved in advocacy for helping people who don't have a voice. Mm. Um, and I, anyway, I think good on you. I think uh, that's very very well put and um, very um, lovely um, sentiment. But it's it's based in pr uh, you know in practical help. Yeah. That's what I always say to people. It's like fine words, you know, but you know, you got to, it really needs a positive thing. Just want to mention to you, um, uh, uh, um, oh, Ellie from LaRue, oh, yeah. right? Who's, who's a spiky character, right? But she's great. And we're really good mates. And, and, uh, she, she's done some stuff down here at Tyler Education. And she said, she really is passionate about encouraging young women 
to get into record production. Yeah. It's, it's like a real problem. It's like 95% are male in record production. And some of it's confidence. It's changing. Yeah. But it needs proactive. So she's been trying to organise a bunch of uh, female um, uh, artists um, to come together to kind of make a more of a noise, really. So there's another person I need to... I don't know if you know her. Do you know? I, I don't know a person. No, not at all. So all that's right. great. Yeah, yeah, please put me in touch. That's another one I need to introduce you to. Uh, she's lovely. <laughs> and she's a bit bonky. You know, we all are, aren't we? Um, <clears throat> yeah, um, <laughs> definitely. So moving on. Um, yeah, so what am I looking at? Oh, Alzheimer's. So... <clears throat> Um, you've done some work around that theme as well, haven't you? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I yeah. So, twenty sixteen, I released an album called Awake but Always Dreaming, which was um, mostly the beginnings of it were completely different. They were based on the amazing Calvino book called Invisible Cities. Oh my god, it's my favorite! It's my favorite book of all time. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's I mean, amazing. I, I lived in I, I lived I lived in Venice for a long time, and I'm about, about to move. Oh, back. yeah. So anyway, yes. What a book! Brilliant. Yeah, magical and like completely inspiring for music and stories and taking your mind away from things. And then, so I set about making a song for every single city, the fifty-five wow. cities. And um, and for ages, and I was so obsessed, you know, like in on the studio walls, I had like like kind of weird, surreal landscapes and brutalist structures from the Soviet Union, and like just these kind of obscure places. And but during that whole time, it's like one of those things that sometimes when you write about things, but you don't actually know why you're doing it until yeah, you, yeah. And then you go, oh my god, I've been doing this, and. You know, gradually throughout this whole period, my grandmother was getting worse and worse. And, you know, it was just heartbreaking. And I guess I kind of came to the kind of realisation that I was building these worlds in order to kind of somehow substantiate where she was going, like, or to imagine where she was going. And it wasn't until, like, I kind of hit a real kind of low point. I didn't have much work. I wasn't doing many gigs. I'd done a few EPs and... So I decided to do a writing course of short stories at the Bishopsgate Institute in London and and ended up like writing short stories for like three or four months. And what came out of that was all these different worlds of imagining where she'd gone and, and everything just kind of connected. Um, wow. And so, you know, that's a lot of the tracks that are on that record, Octavia, it came out just before that. There's a track called Chloe. They're all cities that were in the Invisible Cities book. I never um, realised. I guess yeah. I never connected it. Oh my god, I must no, read it. Like, yeah, and it, you know, like I guess playing with John Fox around that same time as well, and the way he sings about the kind of structures and 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 the way his lyrics are placed are so wonderful you know you, you you attach your own emotions to them and that played a massive part in in how I songwrite um right. 
And so, yeah, so I had this kind of experience where with my grandmother that I had read about, you know, like singing. At the time, it wasn't well spoken about. I think it's definitely more in the press now and it's more kind of, you know, there's a lot more charity work. But at the time, there was nobody really talking about it. It felt like a bit of a taboo subject that there was a connection between music and Alzheimer's or dementia, actually, as a whole. And 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 so I just said to my family at Christmas, you know, let's let's sing a song, let's sing some Christmas carols and see if she reacts to them. Because she used to be able to recite poetry, but she then lost that ability as well and and um and she went from kind of that that horrible kind of still state that you see a lot of older people in in nursing homes sitting in their own little world she went from that to to her eyes opening and her head lifting and her singing carols and all the words and and it was just magical like I can't like I'll never forget that experience of just awakening somebody yeah it's incredible so i have a story to tell you about um i was asked by the university of plymouth a friend of mine down there they were doing a weekend festival about um about alzheimer's for alzheimer's families yeah. and they had a small auditorium it's like 250 or something and they they had various people writing stuff for it um and some of it was about you know, it was it was like a, a kind of I I didn't think it was for the people. It was more like, oh, here's me doing the right thing, right? And I thought, no, I'm gonna. Do you know, my my um, mother-in-law died of Alzheimer's, so I know all about it. Sorry and, to hear uh, that. Yeah, horrible. And um, anyway, so I thought, what can I do with my? I took my 3D sound system into the auditorium, and uh, I said, what I want to do is. I want to write a piece of music that is part sonic montage and part uh, live composition with electronics that are responding to the sonic montage, <clears throat> which and part of it improvisation. And it was just me on stage. Most of it was prefigured, and some of it was responsive and in 3D. So it immersed them. So that's an interesting thing for them anyway. And I thought, you know, I had a responsibility to the audience for this because, you know, there's some very, very ill people in there. Mm-hmm. And it, it, the piece, I, I, I spent a month researching it. And basically what I did was I found a load of songs that had memory at the core, it, it, lyrically at the core of, uh, of, the, uh, of, of what the meaning was of the song. Uh, some of them were old songs, you know, kind of like, mid 20th century some were more contemporary but i kind of created this montage and uh, in three-dimensional sound so several things were kicking off at the same time but i made sure they were all in the right key first of all not to frighten anyone because some you know it's a frightening experience being in that state and at the end the the i had about 10 different families come up to me and go and go it's the first time my mum or my dad has responded for, for months. I just want to shake your hand and thank you. And they were wow. crying and all sorts. And I just think a lot of the time, people who are very ill just want to know that people consider them. Yeah. And I've seen this in special education yeah. needs schools as well. You know, the idea of sensory rooms is almost like 
we're treating you because you have certain symptoms. Not like, I'm a small child, I'm in a dark room, and you're showing me a... Why are you showing me, like, light-up, you know, fibre-optic ropes? What, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, they can't express themselves properly. And Sorry, it was a big success, and, and um, it, cha- it kind of, in a small way, changed the way that they treated uh, mm. people uh, going back to their own hospitals and, 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 and care homes and what have you. So that's that story. And then... There's another little thing I want to tell you about, which is um, I noticed when I was doing research on you that you you have a kind of correct me if I'm wrong, but a kind of synesthetic connection between graphic design, shape, and sound and composition. Do you feel yeah. that the case? Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so when I went uh, I went to Dubai to do a Hem Seventeen gig, and um, <clears throat> I was in the swimming pool. As you do, uh, there's nothing else to do there, you know. It's horrible, but anyway. And I was lying there in the swimming pool, looking at the the horizon, and and, and the sun was going down. And it's like this jagged um, skyline of um, buildings on the on the horizon. I thought, God, I was kind of musing after a couple of cocktails, going, maybe I could translate that into. Maybe if I took that as like a kind of barcode and translated it into musical notes, that'd be interesting. Yeah. And I'm going, that's fine. Then I thought, there's something not right with this scene. I'm looking at it. And I realised as the light got lower and lower, there were no lights on in any of the buildings. They looked like cardboard cutouts in black. Wow. <laughs> None of the buildings were occupied. None of them. Oh, if, God, if, that's awful. This was capitalism gone crazy. Everybody just built these things as an investment, and they're all empty. Mm. Anyway, that was an interesting thought, wasn't it? But I like the idea of the kind of ziggy-zaggy skyline yeah. being being music. I'm going to do it one day. I took a photo of it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, um, we're getting, getting close to the end of this. Have you, oh, have you ever done anything like that? Sorry, I was going to ask you. Not, uh, not skyline, but I guess... You know, I guess talking about fur wave and and how that has like influenced the patterns in nature, influenced the tracks in themselves, and the essence of the artwork um, yeah, has please. does have that succinct feeling of like not necessarily a landscape, but of the more biological sense and ecological sense. So I um, love that book. Um, somebody bought it for me. The um, it's like a little book. It's beautiful. It's like Sacred geometry is called, and it's like an examination of the patterns in nature and oh, how they relate to how they relate mathematically. And yeah, oh, it, yeah, it's like it's just everything, and that's why I like I wanted to make an electronic record that felt like it was part of the you know, it's not digital, it's not analog, it's it's part of the environment that we're in, like that every sound you hear is is part of what makes up an electronic music track. It's like, you know, like that kind of defining sort of like, I guess I read an interview with Vangelis uh, um, and he was like saying that he saw no difference between the orchestra and the electronics. And, and, and I just, I was like, yes, 
that's exactly how it should be. It's just sound. It shouldn't be defined by this or that. And, you know, the, the one thing that holds us back is that we it's harder to notate electronic music in order to play as an ensemble or in order to give that part to somebody else. But you know, that's the excitement as well. It, that's the thing that makes that's it beautiful. The magic happens in that interstitial space between orchestras and electronics. I do, I've only ever managed to commit it to tape once with Hem 17, which is <clears throat> on a track called um, uh, The Best Kept Secret. It's on Luxury Gap. And basically, it's a 50 piece orchestra. And then I, th I, I thought it would be beautiful to weave electronics in and out of the orchestra so you couldn't tell what was special kind of uh, violin techniques or, or, or whatever. Yeah. What was real, what wasn't. So the brief I gave to the arranger, I mean, I, do, I can't read or write music, so I have to do everything. But the brief I gave to the arranger was I want it to be expressionistic, and uh, the, 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 some of the stuff that had to be in the composition was based around chords that we'd written. Um, but the techniques for the orchestra had to be like early 20th century composers, you know, like Russian composers and weird stuff. Yeah. and all that. <laughs> and I love all that stuff. And, um, and, Debussy, and also Debussy as well. And um, he, he just knocked it out of the park, a guy called John Wesley Barker. And so then I took this, which is my System 100. Ooh, very which nice. Is just the most gorgeous sounding machine. And I designed sounds to weave in and out of the orchestra. And you couldn't tell what was people scraping strings or, you know, it, it could have been anything. And I did a project recently about the rainforest where I got access to lots of um, field recordings of birds and frogs and stuff in the in the Colombian rainforest, and they asked for a response for it from composer. And so what I did was I created an immersive 3D sound rainforest, placed the individual birds in different places in 3D, and had them being responded to by sounds from that I designed on the System 100. Oh, I love that. So it's like you couldn't tell what it's like. Uh, it's like kind of Sonic Avatar film, you know. <laughs> but I love that that play between what is what is the instrument and what isn't because that I did that with the Mary Cassio, the brass band album. Like, there's points in it where you're like, is that the brass band or is that the synthesizer? And and it doesn't matter as long as you like get into the soul and the storytelling of it. But but it was really like key for me to like always have the kind of even the detail of like the spit of the players or the turn oh, of the yeah. page or the creak of a seat and mix that with the nuances of the synths and then how you can create a completely different sound world from that so yeah I love that amalgamation it's so I think that's the most exciting thing it's those bringing together worlds that that's where the magic happens that you can't in any other situation yeah I think that's where the magic happens and I think I need to come on your program, <laughs> and we need to talk about it <laughs> on your radio. Uh, yes, on your please. radio free. <laughs> uh, but particularly when the this, this is a, like a charity record, anyway. Um, but uh, it's uh, uh, Brian Eno's on it as well on this album that's coming oh, out. Oh, can, can I hear this? 
It's not out yet. It's coming. It would, it's just about to be mastered in the next few days. Uh, but when it oh. when it when it comes out, can I give you a shout and see if you're interested in? Yes, uh, please. And yes. maybe I can even persuade Brian to come on. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah, I'm trying desperately to negotiate with him to come on the podcast, and he's up for it, but he's so busy all the time. You know, yeah. It's a problem. Anyway. I think we've covered quite a lot of interesting stuff there, don't you? Yeah, I've had a great chat. Thank you. Oh, good. Uh, now this is the daft bit we do at the end, which you probably heard already, where do like smash hits questions of your favourite. <laughs> so, so what's your favourite film? <laughs> oh, no. You know, one of them. One of uh, them. Oh, my God. Okay, Once Upon a Time in America. It's a great film, isn't it, that? Yeah, that's... I think, it, but it's the, oh, it's like that, and a toss up between that or North by Northwest. Yeah, I mean, I like both. I mean, like millions of. Films. I think it's the it's the soundtrack. Yeah. It's the soundtrack that makes the best film. I can't it's help. Morricone, it. Like, but yeah, I mean, once. Yeah. Yeah, Morricone or her Bennett Herman. Yeah. Bennett Herman. Yeah. Uh, Favorite book. Invisible cities. Invisible cities. It's got to be. Yeah. Italo Calvino. Yeah, brilliant. He's brilliant. Have you ever, by the way, have you ever read his, um, the translation of his, he he did a, a collection of Italian folk tales. Oh, no. Like the no, really no. dark stuff, you know, like the original Pinocchio. And the really dark, I mean, like as dark as Grimm's fairy tales, but Italian. Wow. It's fantastic. You need to, find, you need to look that up. Um, TV show, current or past? Father Ted. Oh, it's brilliant. <laughs> Do you know how many times have I watched Father Ted? It's, I could probably write the scripts. I can't um, help it. It's just <coughs> everything. everything. Uh, Every line, everything. Love it. Everything. Father Ted. Um, other musical artist or composer? Um, Steve Reich. Okay. I can see that. Uh, and um, and I would say Steve Rice in terms of just like opening my mind to a lot of other worlds and opening my mind to minimalism music. And then that led into kind of like Brian, you know, well, it kind of stemmed all from kind of John Cage into that world and then Terry Riley and off. But so Steve Rice would still be the kind of pinnacle point, I guess. Um, but then... As, as far as a kind of pop, not even a pop record, but, it, it, you know, in a sense of like Laurie Anderson's or Superman, that, I mean, oh, I just, and, oh my God, there's so many. Blue Nile, yeah, Blue Nile, oh my God, like, <coughs> Walk Across the Rooftop is just like one of my favourite records. So yeah, God, there's so many composers and people. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, ambition un Unfulfilled. Oh, of what I'd like to, music or just in terms Any of like anything? I would have really liked to have been a detective. <laughs> you still can. <laughs> really, really. But more like, as in like a pathologist, like kind of detective. Yeah, yeah, like all that forensic stuff. Yeah, I just really, really would have loved to have done that. And I did sciences at school and sixth form and... And yeah, chose music, but I loved I love unearthing things, and I guess that 
still resonates in in my music. God, you are so like my wife. God, she <laughs> honestly, that's one of her ambitions as well to be a forensic detective. Anyway, <laughs> you can never get get away with anything with her. It's impossible. <laughs> Um, visual or conceptual artist? Uh, Leonora Carrington. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I've had that one before. <laughs> uh, um, which of your own work is, are you most proud of? Um, can I say something that's coming out in the future? Yeah. Yeah, I've got a record coming out next year and I think it's um, the most I think it's either that or Mary Cassio with the brass band. Right. But the thing that's coming out next year, I'm really, really proud of. I think it's it's really special. Are um, you going to tell us? No? Uh, no. Well, oh. I don't know. When is this podcast going out? Yeah. Um, oh, it'll be sometime in the next four weeks, five weeks. Uh, I've made a piece with the Para Orchestra and... I'm very, very proud of it. And and but I think what makes me proud of it is the collaboration and the collaborative um essence to it because it was collaborative from the word go. From even like kind of like we did some R and D days with Adrian Utley at his studio and I've got an interview with him coming out as well. Oh he's and so Will Gregory. Oh like, I did a big three D sound concert oh. with um with them. In the Elf Philharmonie in uh, Hamburg, and we did. Um, oh, it's bloody amazing! We, uh, we, perf I performed with the um, Moog Ensemble. Oh yeah, nice. They're, they're amazing. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Then that's great. So when's that coming out? Did you say? Uh, oh, I don't know yet, but it's in the making right now. And yeah, I just think it's one of those projects that. You know, like when there's nobody in it that's negative, there's nobody in it that brings any kind of bad essence to it. It's all like everybody takes their role, does their thing, brings magic to it. It just makes it this whole delicious, gorgeous thing that I don't care if anybody likes it or not. I'm just so proud of it and yeah. the musician and everybody on it. So That's great. I did a, a, an improvised thing with the bbc radiophonic workshop and oh. uh, it just turned out amazing i mean it's a bit some of it was rubbish but we edited that bit out and uh, but and we, <laughs> we put it out on vinyl and it was just a joy because it was completely unplanned the true essence of improvisation you know mm. and uh, anyway that's another thing um uh and finally um, what's your favourite synth? It can be, re uh, it can be analog or digital, virtual, whatever you want. Uh, it's uh, it has and always has been the Roland Juno sixty. I still haven't found anything else that surpasses my feelings for that. Synth. Really? Yeah. Interesting. So I've done, I don't know, four over forty of these now. No, nearly fifty. And um, no two people have said the same since. Really? Isn't that incredible? Wow, that's amazing. Be, the odds would be you'd have more people like in the mini Moog or whatever. Yeah. No two since the same on any of them. Wow. Do you think it's like the nostalgia of it? 
the Juno definitely for me is nostalgia. It's the memory of my first kind of exploration and the Juno has always been there. I think there's some of that, but I think it's to do with the the um process. Like what's your favourite synth? Mine is that is that one, the system uh, one. Yeah. yeah. Um but I like the Jupiter four as well. Where is it? There. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've got one of those there. I still oh, love they, my but, they yeah. great. Um, but I think it's more about the the kind of methodology that you use things with and the process that involved that appeal to certain differently to different people. I don't think it's just about the sounds they make. It's mm. about what fits your personality. Yeah. Or how well, experimental it is. You know how how many great sounds can you get out with with minimum effort? You know. Oh, I love this though. Somebody needs to write a book on how it fits, which one fits your personality a bit like a kind of like when they do the key tests of what job you're going to get. What about like... Oh, yeah, yeah. psychometrics. Yeah. <gasps> Great idea. We need to psychometrically test everyone. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's a great idea. I'm, I'm thinking about actually doing a compilation of stuff from the um, all these interviews. And and having it as like because it's it's really interesting to contrast and compare not just the questions at the end but people's attitude towards things. I think it's like I feel like I'm building a you know a ten thousand piece jigsaw at the moment. It's really interesting. Oh, I love it. It's yeah. Brilliant. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. And um, thank you. Let's carry on and make the world a better place for as many people as possible, shall we? Yeah. And uh, hello to everybody listening. Yeah. And make sure, by the way, podcast, pod dogs, whatever you are, um, go and listen to Hannah's stuff because it's fucking amazing. Honestly, it'll change your life. Oh, that's very nice. Thank you, Martin. It's All right, pleasure. darling. I will see you at the next board meeting, probably, if we ever have one in the flesh again. Oh, that would be something. <laughs> All right, darling. Have a, have a lovely Thank evening. Thank you very Bye. much. Bye. Bye. Well, that was a really deep and insightful and pleasant experience, I have to say. Um, we covered a lot of ground with, I hope, um, empathy and intelligence. And um, I hope it inspires a few people. It inspired me. Um, and you you really need to check out her her works she is going places this this uh, woman she really is an incredible artist both electronically and in more traditional forms and the fact that she's got a you know a very kind of um engaging personality really she's a great advocate for 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 creativity and and women in the arts and um i'm feel honored to have interviewed her to be honest. Anyway, how is everyone? Things are getting fractionally better. Um, I'm hoping that this summer we are going to perform live with HEM17. It's looking more and more likely all the time. Um, personally speaking, I am in a kind of pleasant limbo at the moment because I'm about to move out from my family home for 30 years and we are moving into a smaller place. 
uh, both in London and Venice, which is exciting. And, um, yeah, I hope everybody's planning to at least have some kind of holiday because we all need it, don't we, um, this summer. And some more emails. Martin, this is from Luke Mitchell. This podcast is such a bright spot in my week. It keeps me engaged, energised and inspired through my workday as a, cat- a catalogue. And I can't tell you how important LPs like reproduction and the luxury gap were in shaping my own synth-pop project, Striking Violet. I have a few musicians in mind for future guests. Stephen Merritt, Carl Hyde, <clears throat> Chris Lowe, JJ Jekzlik, Wolfgang Fleur, I'm hopefully in touch with. Um, we considered interviewing those involved with the tech side, like Dave Smith, Peter Vogel, etc. Mm, not sure that's really the remit um, of this podcast. This is Keith Pinney. Hello, Martin. Sorry, this is a short part two. No sooner was I walking down the street to get a rolling piece of kit. As I walked into the store, who should walk past? Tom Bailey. I know Tom. We've been on several shows together. Nice guy. Um, that's a good idea, actually. Daniel Miller was superb. Thanks for making arguably the best music interview pub on the web. <clears throat> Thank you. Simon Helm. Loved the interview with Daniel Miller. He really nailed it. Finally, someone got got him onto a topic other than how warm leatherette got made. Richard Verico, cannot believe you interviewed Gary Newman or anyone else straight after Rusty. I'd have needed to lie down. Smiley face. Um, George Koinov. Hi, Martin. Greetings from Sofia, Bulgaria. Big fan of your podcast right here. May I suggest an interesting guest? Todd Fink, from the frontman from The Faint. You've probably heard of The Faint. They're quite big in America. Uh, I haven't, I'm afraid, so sorry, that's not going to happen. Um, Patrick E. Moore. Thoughts on prospective guests? Yet another vote for Cozy Fanny Tutti and Zeno and Oaklander. Don't know who they are. John Pilgrim. Hello, Martin. Thank you for your podcast. Each episode is like a fizzing sparkler of delight. Thank you. I just listened to your Tony Visconti episode, which was truly wonderful. The man is an inspiration for life. Delighted to hear you have Addy Newton lined up. That's coming up soon. Thirst is the most marvellous album, and Four Hours is one of my favourite songs in the world. I used to work in Sheffield for many years. I remember seeing you perform at the top of the Owen building at Sheffield Hallam University. What a blast. That was an amazing gig. Uh, I am friends with Mark Albro from Hula who you may remember back in the day from the original Sheffield scene. I kind of missed Hula, because uh, I'd moved down to London by then, but a lot of people rate them very highly, so maybe <coughs> I need to look into that. Possibilities for future interviewees could be Julian House or Jim Jupp for the Ghostbox label, or blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it's too niche. Sorry, John. Uh, please email me if you have any ideas for the podcast or comments. Electronically, martin at gmail.com. Uh, 
I am all ears. I read every single email and I'll try and read as many of them out on the air as I can. Um, and I'm on the trail of some incredible guests. My ambition is to make this podcast, guest-wise, the most interesting of all the podcasts out there in music. So, put that in your pipe and smoke it. I'll see you next episode. Bye!